guys, I'm Ange. And I'm Jay. And welcome back to WTF True Crime and Other Shit. Um, so before we get started, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, Canadian Canadians. listeners. Canadians, yeah. It's our Thanksgiving this weekend because we do it in October. And we're thankful for everyone that listens. Yeah, we are. Very excited. Um, and also just before we get going, I'm a little stuffed up this week. Um, I have a weird, stupid medical condition that causes my nose to be stuffy at times, so this week is worse than normal, but... I'm here. We can do it. We can do it. Um, and also, if our audio is a little low, I apologize. I, dro- I dropped the mic on the floor before we started recording. <laughs> yeah, nice. And we had to test it like six times to get it to work, so it might be a little lower than normal. Now we're going to have to buy a new mic. And we might need to buy a new mic. So, just if we're low, that's why. So, I, b- buy yeah. some merch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because yeah, we need to afford a new mic. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that. But Any, anyway. Anything about your mama said about the last one? She didn't comment on the last one. Oh, what was the last one again? Bryce Lespisa. <laughs> that, oh. The guy that went missing in his car. Oh, yeah, that guy. The yeah. guy that wouldn't drive. The guy that wouldn't drive. That's <laughs> what the, we should have named the episode. Oh, yeah. The guy that didn't drive. <laughs> it seemed like he wanted to, but he didn't. <laughs> yeah, so no, she didn't mention anything about him. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm sure she'll have something to say about this one, though, because it seems all kinds of fucked up. Oh, I've got a weird one. Yeah. I I just It's like a mishmash of weirdness, and I thought it'd be fun. Yeah, fun times. Um, I didn't actually, like, read the script, but when I was kind of looking at it a little bit, I just saw things about pigs and sharks and shit, so <laughs> I don't fucking know what's going on with this, guys, but we will hear about it together, I well, guess. Yeah. All right. Are we ready? <laughs> I think we're ready. All right, so I decided to take a look at a theme of animals in crime. That makes sense about the sharks and the pigs, then. And this is kind of weird when I, I came across this. Like, I, wasn't, I had no idea of doing this until I came across it. I was like, what the fuck? I'm doing this. <laughs> All right. All right. So we're going to talk about Europe's shameful and largely forgotten history of putting animal criminals on trial. What? And either executing them or for plagues of insects, ordering them, order, ordering them to leave town and not only by a certain day, but by an exact time. Okay, you cannot... What? You, you can't execute animals no. for doing crimes and ordering... Okay, so if you order the insects to leave the town, they just listen it's and fucking just, leave? You'll see, oh, man. Okay. This, right. It's ridiculous. <laughs> okay. Such irrational barbarism is hard to fathom, but as early as 824 all the way up to the middle of the 18th century... Animals were held to the same moral standards as humans, suffering the same capital punishments and even rotting in some jails. What? Yeah, man. You can't put animals in jail. Yeah, apparently in old Europe you could. Oh, my God. On September 5th, 1379. Whoa, that's a long time ago. Yeah, it was recorded that two herds of pigs at a French monastery grew agitated and killed a man named Perrineau Mouet. As was custom at the time, the pigs, which were the actual murderers, and those that had simply looked on were tried for their horrible crime and sentenced to death. Oh my god, you cannot sentence pigs to death. You see, with their cries and aggressive actions, the onlookers, which means like the onlooker pigs, <laughs> the other pigs in this group of pigs, or herd, I guess, um, showed that they approved of the assault and mustn't be allowed to escape justice. What the fuck is this? Because they were winking and shit and all going crazy and squealing, they, they were egging on the guys to kill the guy. They are pigs. Or they the do not have that mental yeah. capacity. Anyway, the monastery's prior, uh, Friar Humbert de Porches, I don't know, I suck at <laughs> weird names, couldn't bear to suffer the economic loss of all those pigs. So he wrote to the Duke of Burgundy, pleading for him to pardon the onlookers, or the pigs. Yeah, they're pigs, uh-huh. The friar would allow the three murderers, or there's three murdering pigs, oh my God. to suffer their fate. He was no scuff law, after all. What's a scuff law? 
like, uh, like ignore a... the law kind of thing. Okay. The Duke lent a gracious ear to his supplication and ordered that the punishment should be remitted and the swine released. <laughs> Records don't show how the three pigs were executed, though it was common for offending animals to be hanged or burned alive for their crimes. Okay, but... Okay, but... So, did they eat the meat at least? Or did they... I don't know. But they were murderous pigs, so if you ate it, did you become maybe. a murderer? So maybe uh. they just... Oh my god, what a waste. Isn't that weird? <laughs> so weird. Uh, okay, so... Europe's worst serial offenders, it seems, were pigs. According to E.P. Evans in his book, The Criminal Prosecution and Capital Punishment of Animals, that's a weird-ass title, from 1906, the frequency with which pigs were brought to trial and adjudged to death was owing, in great measure, to the freedom with which they were permitted to run about the streets and to their immense number. Evans catalogs incident after incident in which pigs, were, pigs chewed off ears and noses and even killed children. Another more mild-mannered, though no less impious pig, was hanged in France in 1394 for having sacrilegiously eaten a consecrated wafer. Holy fuck. Yeah, they killed him because he ate <laughs> For ate, the, eating a wafer. He's a fucking pig. One of the church wafers. He's going to eat whatever the fuck he finds. He's a fucking pig. <laughs> oh my god. Pretty much the entirety of the animal kingdom, though, was subject to the human rule of law. In the appendix of his book, Evans lists some 200 cases of animal executions, and these are just the ones whose records have survived Europe's tumultuous history. There were executions of bulls, horses, eels, dogs, sheep, and perhaps most curiously, do aw, dolphins, yeah. which he gives no information on other than that they were tried and executed in Marseille in 1596. Yeah. No, they didn't get the reason why they're executed, Aww, but they were. dolphins. But they're so sweet. They help people. I know. Well, apparently they commit crimes as well. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even understand. <laughs> this is the weirdest case right? I think anybody has ever, ever, ever done a podcast on. <sighs> so, there was a great range of punishments for such critters, which weren't always sentenced to death. Rats, for instance, were often sent a friendly letter of advice in order to induce them to quit any house in which their presence is deemed undesirable. Yeah, they sent the rats letters cool. to move out. because they can read. That's, that's perfectly, you know, that's perfectly okay. Um, in one case, Evans adds, a sow and a she-ass, I'm assuming as a donkey, were condemned to be hanged on appeal, and after a new trial, they were sentenced to be simply knocked on the head. Yeah. Okay, so they fucking put these animals on trial? This is the crazy part. There's animal lawyers. Oh my god. Can you imagine being an animal lawyer? Why are they wasting all their time and resources and money on this shit? <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> but capital punishment often went way beyond the brutality of hanging. Even the innocent faced our wrath of judgment. When a Swiss town was gifted a moose by the great naturalist Leonard Thurnesser. <laughs> you totally botched that name. I'm sorry, but that's... Thurnesser. I don't think it's Thurnesser. Okay, Whatever. continue. Leonard. In the late 1500s, townspeople looked upon the strange animal as a most dangerous demon, and a pious old woman finally rid the town of the dreaded beast by feeding it with an apple stuck full of broken needles. What? Isn't that horrible? That's like, so these people are cruel. fucking crazy. And creatures that were themselves victims, especially of bestiality, would be horrifically executed along with their offending human. In one case, a mule condemned to be burned alive together with a man uh, guilty of buggery was inclined to kick, so the executioner cut off its feet before lighting it aflame. So they cut off its feet and then fucking burned it? With the dude that was banging it. What the hell? 
that's so disgusting. On the flip side, though, Europeans were capable of compassion toward the beasts they, they very much relied upon for sustenance and labor. For instance, in one bestiality case in 1750, the victim, a donkey, was acquitted on the ground that she was the victim of violence, while convents prior signed a certificate noting that he'd known her for four years and that she had always shown herself to be virtuous and well-behaved both at home and abroad. So he literally, like, signed an affidavit. Yeah, saying Talking that about this donkey's this character. This donkey who had good character, yeah. What the fine fuck. Given the circumstances, it's a somewhat touching moment in the history of animal welfare. Right. Uh-huh. The trials of pests like locusts and weevils, though, reached comic absurdity that's likely unequaled in European history. Oh, good lord. See, if you thought all this was crazy... We're just buckling here we up. Go. Yeah, get ready. All right, let's go. In the 16th century, the insect's most famous public defender was Bartholomew Chassinet who had first demonstrated his prowess defending rats, which had feloniously eaten up and wantonly destroyed the barley crop of the province of Atun in France. In a crafty bit of lawyering, he argued that it was impossible to summon all of his furry clients to court and that they should be excused, writes Evans. On the ground of the length and difficulty of the journey and the serious perils which attended it, owing to the unwearied vigilance of their mortal enemies, the cats, who watched all their movements, and with all with fell intent, lay in wait for them at every corner and passage. So he argued that they couldn't come to court because they would have been attacked by cats. Oh my god! What the fuck am I even listening? What am I even talking about? This is rat ridiculous. Lawyer. Bartholomew Rat Lawyer. Oh Fucking awesome. Oh my god. How do you become a rat lawyer? Like, <laughs> what kind of schooling is the, Is that the same as regular law? Like, I don't what, know, what, man. what goes on with that? I don't know. Anyway, at this time, animal trials were brought to, I don't even know how to say Ecclesiastical. That Ecclesiastical courts, as states were not fully developed as we would recognize them today. And the court's authority lay in the power of excommunication, which bars you from communion, communion and the spiritual advantages of the church. And what is known as anathemia, a sort of excommunication for beings, like animals, not belonging to the church. It was the anathema that courts tried to bring upon Chazenay's pestilent clients, and he was very much a believer in the effects of this powerful curse. Noting how a priest once anathematized... <laughs> Jay, you're using big words on this. That's what it's called. Okay. So a priest did that to an <laughs> orchard because its fruits lured kids away from mass and how it lay bared until the Duchess of Burgundy ordered the curse lifted. Yeah, so because the kids were sneaking in to eat those... The apples, they put a curse on it? They put a curse of not being recognized by Jesus on the field so it didn't grow anything. What the fuck? Until the Duchess Lefted forgave it. it. Oh, okay. It's okay, field, you can grow your fruits again. Okay, then. This was, quite obviously, a serious sentence meant for the most pernicious insect and rodent offenders and no pest plagued 16th century france more than the weevil and few towns suffered the wrath worse than saint julian though it never went to trial the first complaint against the insects was made by grape growers in 1545 resulting in a proclamation for public prayers to account for sins and thus will the weevils away and indeed they fled they fled yeah so they said, get the fuck out of here, and they, they prayed about left. it, yeah. And they left. How, yeah. how did that happen? I don't know. Maybe don't this stuff it. really does work. <laughs> I don't know. Or maybe they're just fucking crazy. Or maybe it was just end of season. They're like, I right, let's go, boys. <laughs> I think that's more likely <laughs> <laughs> that they did it at the end of the season, and the wheels were like, oh, Probably. well, we're going to leave now because we're done. 
But 30 years later, the Weevils returned and the town was forced to take them to court. <laughs> the trial began on April 13th, 1587, with a lawyer named Antoine Filiol assigned as the Weevils' public defender. What the flying fuck did I just read? Like, they shouldn't make a TV show. <laughs> can you imagine? A TV lawyer. Uh, I mean, animal lawyer. <laughs> but can you imagine being yeah. a public defender for a fucking... What is even is a weevil? Is that like a... What is it's that? It's like a big beetle with, that flies and Cool, and stuff. cool. So I'm the lawyer of a fucking bug. Yeah. What the hell? I don't even bug understand lawyer. that. Yeah. Is that better than a rat lawyer? <laughs> I think a rat lawyer would probably be higher than a bug mm. lawyer, but who knows? So Antoine Fil- Filiol argued that his clients had been placed on earth by God who would never have put them there without the sustenance to survive. It was just a bit unfortunate unfortunate that the sustenance, <laughs> holy fuck guys, happened to be the town's crops. The prosecution, however, asserted that the town's dominion over the visiting weevils, that although the animals were created before man, they were intended to be subordinate to him and subservient to his use, and that this was indeed the reason of their prior creation. That's right. So how They're dare you made eat my for us. shit? Yeah. Eat your own crops, not ours. <laughs> yeah, like, this whole, I can't believe that this was a cool thing, a court thing. Yeah. The, there was the animal fucking courts. bugs are eating my fucking crops. I'm gonna take them to court. Yeah, I gotta uh, sue them. What? Just buy some fucking pesticide and be done with it. <laughs> like. So we come to a central theological paradox of animal trials: the sins of villagers supposedly brought in the pests, but so too did God intentionally include them in his grand plan for earth we as humans are to hold dominion over these creatures and to deal with them as we please that means dragging them into court to answer for their transgressions but it is not god who controls them why else would public prayers effectively drive the weevils away Hmm. gee i don't know weird eh? like you said it was probably fucking october and they're like gee it's cold cold. Beyond the courtroom, the citizens of St. Julian sought a compromise by providing a tract of land near the town where the weevils could freely oh, congregate. Sorry. A suitable spot was selected and officially deemed weevil territory. <laughs> Did <laughs> they put a sign saying weevils I'm sure, there, I'm sure there was signage. Oh my god. According to Evans, the citizens reserved the right to pass through the said tract of land without prejudice to the pasture of the said animals and to make use of the springs of water contained therein, which are also to be at the service of the of the weevils but back in court the weevils attorney couldn't in good conscience accept the offer of land from the townspeople because the place was sterile and neither sufficiently nor suitably supplied with food for the support of the of the weevils so they're like here you have this land it sucks nothing grows there nothing <laughs> grows there have fun guys and Laura's like eat. fuck that man my That's weevils need nice. to eat yeah. <laughs> this the prosecution roundly rejected noting that the spot is perfect for the weevils being full of trees and sh- shrubs so they, he, he suggested another spot okay. like where, the, where, the, where they were eating an incredible eight months after the trial began, the judge handed down a decision sadly lost to history. According to Evans, the last page of the court records has since been destroyed by no joke, rats <laughs> or bugs of some sort. Oh my, maybe the fucking weevils. They're like, we're just going to get rid of this. This leads me to this. He adds ever so cheekily, perhaps the prosecuted weevils not being satisfied with the results of the trial sent a sharp-toothed delegation into the archives to obliterate and annul the judgment of the court. Oh my god. Based on other similar trials, though, if found guilty, the weevils were likely ordered to quit the town by a certain date and time under pain of anathema. That's so, ridiculous. Yeah, isn't that interesting? I just... <laughs> oh Anyways, I thought animals committing crimes were just so wild, thought I would take a quick look at a couple more recent crimes involving animals. So oh. I went searching 
I'm like, there must be something more than, you know, 824 in Europe. There's gotta be for more. For animals. So how about you start us off on this oh, one? Oh, right let's on. do it. I just, this is the weirdest shit I've ever talked about in my entire life. So we're going to talk about the cat attack of 1914. <laughs> let's do it. So located in New York City, the Brighton Beef Company was a butcher shop owned by Jay Weinberger. If you were to pass by Mr. Weinberger's meat market, you'd no doubt stop to salivate over the steaks, sausages, and chickens hanging in the window. Of course, since there was so much meat out in the open, Mr. Weinberger would leave the transom above the front door open, allowing the night breeze to blow inside his shop and keep the meat relatively fresh. Unbeknownst to the butcher, this would ultimately prove to be a catastrophe. On the evening of January 23rd, 1914, a nearby police officer heard a horrible racket coming from inside the Brighton Beef Company. According to the Sun newspaper, a hundred drunk burglars couldn't have made more noise. Assuming someone was trying to make off with Mr. Weinberger's meat, the officer blew his whistle for backup, and soon the street was full of cops and curious onlookers, all wondering what the heck was happening inside the shop. Isn't that funny? You don't radio in for backup. Yeah, you just blow, just blow your whistle. whistle. <laughs> all right, let's see. All the cops just perk up. How, <gasps> but what happens if they're not hearing distance? Yeah, but how do you know where the whistle's coming from? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, then. <laughs> Assuming the worst, the officers drew their guns but found the door locked. Determined to save the day, they shoved a diminutive young man through the transom, but when he opened the door from the inside, the police officers found not fiends, felines. So they didn't want to go in there so they shoved somebody else in there? Well, they had to shove him in there because it's just a small window above the door, right? So they had to put a small guy through there. Did they at least give him a gun? Probably not. Probably not. They're just like, here you go. Get out of here. The butcher shop was full of cats, about 25 of the little monsters, all helping themselves to the smorgasbord. According to the Evening World, they were feasting on choice bits of chicken. They were scrapping with pork chops. They were playing nine pins with sausages. <laughs> In short, Mr. Weinberger was out of meat. After putting their pistols away, the officers took out their clubs and stormed the shop, trying to chase the cats out the door. A group of concerned citizens joined the fray, but one unlucky fellow was clawed so badly that he made a quick retreat to the nearest hospital. And look, can you just imagine that scene with <laughs> all these cops trying to chase, to chase cats the cats? The and they're like, just like, oh my god. It's hair flying everywhere. <laughs> So eventually, the officers managed to evict all twenty-five cats. But how they had entered? How had they entered the building in the first place? The transom was much too high for any cat to reach, unless someone had given them given them a helping hand. The police hypothesized that a rival butcher had kidnapped the cats, starved the poor creatures, and then unleashed the beasts on Mister Weinberger's shop. Unfortunately, the authorities never found the culprit, and his furry henchman had no intention of ratting him out. There you go. So those cats broke and enter. But they, they didn't get they tried for it. No. No, no, there's no more animal courts Oh, in there's present no more... Co okay, so... That's just in crazy Europe back in the day. So in 1914, they were done with the animal courts. Yeah, they are like, no more animal lawyers. Okay, gotcha. We should try and bring it back, though, <laughs> yeah, this day and age. You never know. Yeah, maybe that'll be a good job for you. Uh, the next interesting uh, story I found is The Bloody Tale of the Washington Park Lions. Mm. On July 4th, 1970, 19-year-old Roger Adams was ready to paint the town red, white, and blue after partying it up at a dance in Portland, Oregon. Roger and his two friends, Ken Bauer and Michael Gaskell, decided it was a good idea to grab a jug of wine and sneak into the Washington Park Zoo, known today as the Oregon Zoo. Okay, wait. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, never mind. Nope. I was just thinking this was in Washington, but it's in Oregon. So, okay. Yeah, like the state of Washington. So, yeah, so it was named Washington after the president, I'm assuming? 
Well, and then they read us renamed it to Oregon because that's what state it's in. I guess so. Okay, cool. Just wanted to make sure where we were. We're in Oregon. Got it. Cool. Go. Of course, any rational person knows alcohol and dangerous animals don't mix. But after a few swigs, these guys weren't thinking so rationally. After scaling the fence, the inebriated Roger started showing off for his friends by holding onto the edge of the lion pit, lowering himself down, and offering himself as bait to the big cats. It might have seemed like fun and games at first, but unfortunately for Roger, making the 5 meter, which is about 16 feet jump, from the moat below to the pit's edge was child's play for Sis, the 11-year-old lion Uh within. Eyes locked on Roger, the lion took a swipe at the teenager's legs, barely missing. Uh Uh-oh. That's when Roger realized it was time to get out of the pit. But before he could haul himself out, Sis gave it a second try and dragged the poor kid back down. Over the next few minutes, Sis and her mate Caesar mauled Roger to death. His desperate friends chucked their wine bottle down at the lions and tried to find someone to help. But by the time the night guard arrived at the scene, it was too late for Roger Adams. Uh-oh. Yeah, play stupid games, win stupid prizes, right? Yep. The next day, the local newspapers covered Roger's death and quoted his friend Ken who angrily muttered that those lions needed to pay. No, you were fucking drunk and broke into their enclosure, <laughs> you piece of shit. Not, God, I'm so angry. Sadly for Sid and Caesar, someone agreed with Ken, and hours later, yeah. a mysterious assassin armed with a hunting rifle crept into the zoo during the wee hours in the morning and fired three quick shots. Ugh. Yeah. By 12 noon the next day, both the lions were dead. Needing someone to blame, enraged enraged animal lovers barraged Roger's family with the hate mail and abusive phone calls stating things like, I hope he rots in hell and he got what what was coming to him. Okay, so that's a bit extreme, but he shouldn't have broken into the enclosure and people shouldn't have killed the fucking lions for doing what is in their nature to do. Right. As for the enigmatic lion killer, he kept a low profile for two years until 1972. Then, Ken Bowers, who'd publicly wished someone would finish off the felines, admitted that he was the one who had pulled the trigger. Jesus, Fri- Jesus Christ, Ken. I just said Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Ken. <laughs> um, while Ken could have earned three years in prison for animal destruction, in addition to a more recent drug charge, the judge ultimately let him off with three years of probation and a $1,200 fine. Really, there's no happy ending here. Everyone and everything involved in the bloody affair either wound up dead, hounded by haters, or plagued for years by nightmares of Roger's horrible death. Hmm, that sucks. So that's another murder crime I don't like it. Thing. But the first part of that that story reminded me of the Saturday Night Live skit. Oh, the polar bear where cage? Where they jump into the polar bear cage. Yeah. If you guys don't know that one, go on YouTube and look up Saturday Night Live polar bear cage. It's like literally the funniest thing ever. Yeah, and it, it sounds... has like the best people. It has like Adam Sandler. Who else is in there? Uh, Tim Meadows, uh, Norm MacDonald. Norm MacDonald. Yeah, Who else? Wasn't it... Um, Jay Moore. And the other guy. And Chris Farley. That's Chris Farley. That's yeah. it, yeah. So funny. You guys need to watch that. Um, but anyway, so now let's talk about the shark arm mystery. This is the one I was briefly looking at, and I mm-hmm. saw sharks. So, on April 17th, 1935, a fisherman caught a sizable tiger shark off the coast of Australia. The sharp-toothed monster measured around 4 meters, or 13 feet long, and the fisherman was so impressed that he decided to let the beast live. Instead of being returned to the ocean, the shark ended up in a Sydney aquarium where guests could admire the fish from behind the safety of thick glass. As curious onlookers gathered around, the creature swam circles around its enclosure, which is pretty typical shark behavior, but on April 25th, everything changed. The shark started freaking out, thrashing back and forth like it was having some kind of deep sea seizure. 
That's when it opened its mouth and regurgitated a human arm complete with a tattoo of two boxers duking it out. What the fuck? Yeah. When did he eat this arm? I don't know. Probably before he caught it. I guess so, but like he was in that thing for eight days. Like yeah. He just had it in there for eight days? Oddly enough, there was also a piece of rope tied around the wrist. It's safe, to, it's safe to assume a few of the spectators lost their lunch as well. Needless to say, the local authorities fished the arm out of the tank. Upon closer inspection, they noticed the arm hadn't been bitten off. It had been chopped off. In other words, whoever this waterlogged limb belonged to wasn't the victim of a shark attack. Instead, they were the victim of a good old-fashioned murder. Ooh, right? bum, bum, bum. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Thanks to the tattoo and fingerprint analysis, officials determined that the arm belonged to a local boxer-turned-thug named Jim Smith. Like, one of the most typical names ever. <laughs> yeah. Good old Jim, Jim Smith. Smith. He probably picked that name so that there was a bunch of them, so he couldn't oh, be... Oh, yeah, that'd be... That's a good strategy. Yeah, so it's a very common name, so it's not like it's, like, Xavier Bartholomew. I don't know where that <laughs> name Xavier <laughs> Bartholomew? <laughs> The fuck? <laughs> I have no idea where that name came from. But... That's actually a pretty wicked name. I want that go. name. <laughs> I'd, I'd hold on to that one even if I was. Yeah, so it's not that. Maybe like a super villain, Xavier Bartholomew. <laughs> yeah, see? It's a boxer turned thug. Uh, the last person seen with Mr. Smith was a notorious forger by the name of Patrick Brady. The two were spotted playing cards one night, and Jim Smith was never seen again. According to a cab driver, he'd picked Brady up on the very same night and the man was quite nervous and refused to take his hand out of his pocket. The cab driver told the police that he dropped Brady off at the home of Reginald Holmes, a Sydney boat builder who earned most of his money smuggling drugs. The word around town was that Holmes and Smith were involved in an insurance scam, and afterwards Smith had tried to blackmail Holmes. Hoping to protect his name, the theory goes Holmes and Brady um, told Brady to take Smith out and not to dinner. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> After killing the boxer, Brady supposedly chopped up his body, stuffed most of the corpse into a trunk, and tossed the evidence into the sea. So like a luggage trunk. Mm, Gotcha. Not not a boot. (laughs) Not a boot. As for the lone arm, after the cops arrested Brady, Holmes agreed to testify against the alleged murderer, claiming that Brady had actually shown up at his home with the arm in some macabre attempt to blackmail the businessman, after which he supposedly tossed it out into sea. However, Holmes never got a chance to testify at trial as he was shot to death on the morning of the inquest. No one ever figured out who killed Holmes, and Brady was cleared of all charges. After all, just because there was an arm inside of a shark, that didn't mean there was necessarily a dead body. Um, well, unless this guy's going around with one arm now, I think they're probably... He wouldn't be a very good boxer anymore, I don't think. (laughs) No. But it's cool, we got a picture of that arm. Yeah, it's It's grisly. It's gross. Yeah. But anyway, I I always break up the script between who's going to say what, and I should have left this one for you. I put it on here just because I know that you love kangaroos. This is is me. So So, yeah, you have fun with this one. The next one we're talking about is the killer kangaroo. Of course, it's always about kangaroos. They have nefarious deeds inside Uh them. So this was very recent, actually. So in September of 2022, a man who may have been keeping a wild kangaroo as a pet was killed by the animal in southwest Australia. Two Australian ones back to back. It was reportedly the first fatal attack by a kangaroo in Australia since 1936. A relative found the 77-year-old man with serious injuries on his property in semi-rural Redmond, which is 400 kilometers or 250 miles southeast of the Western Australia state capital, Perth. It is believed he had been attacked earlier in the day by the kangaroo 
which police shot dead because it was preventing paramedics from reaching the injured man and was said to be posing an ongoing threat to emergency responders. The man, identified as 77-year-old alpaca farmer Peter Eads, died at the scene. Yeah, so like he killed him and he was like standing over his body and fighting off anyone that was trying to get to him. Yeah, because he was... Maybe he had rabies. Maybe. But can I just say that I just love that he was an alpaca farmer? Yeah, I thought you'd like that. I love alpacas. Yeah. I love them. So Mr. Eads was a renowned animal lover who refused to sell his alpacas for meat and often rescued the animals from owners who could no longer cope with them. Locals revealed the grandfather had hand-reared his pet kangaroo from a joey after adopting it three years ago. The devoted animal lover had already dug his own grave in a homemade cemetery so he could be buried with his precious pets. Yeah, he's Aww. already had a spot for himself along his pets. But and he he brought that kangaroo up from a baby and I it know. killed him. Fucking killed him. Fucking kangaroo. I told you, they're fucking God evil. Damn it. Mr. Eads revealed five years ago that he had created the burial ground on his land for all his beloved alpacas when they died. Each one was commemorated with a headstone or a cross bearing their name, and he had even dug a spot for himself alongside his favorite alpaca, Claudia. Aw, that's so cute. Kangaroo behavior expert Graham Coulson says while attacks are not uncommon because they can interpret humans' upright stance as a challenge, they are very rarely fatal. Tanya Irwin, who cares for macropods at the Native Animal Rescue Service in Perth, said authorities rarely issue permits to keep kangaroos in Western Australia. She said, quote, This looks like it was an adult male, and they become quite aggressive, uh, and they don't do well in captivity. We don't know what the situation was, if he was in pain, or why he was being kept. Uh, but unfortunately, they're not a cute animal. They're a wild animal, unquote. Okay, so just what's a macropod? I guess it's kind of like the version, like, you know, like mammal or oh, okay. rodent yeah. Yeah. macropods. Probably something with a pouch in it. Like, a, I thought that was marsupial. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe it kind <laughs> of sounds. I don't know. I should, I should have looked it up, I guess. I so don't we know. don't know what a macropod is, but Tanya Irwin care, cares for them. Just yeah, so if any Australian <laughs> listeners know what that is. Let us know. Is it a kangaroo with a we're too, pouch Because we're too thing? lazy to Google, so let us know. Oh, yeah, Google's fake. <laughs> Western gray kangaroos are common in Australia's southwest. They can weigh up to 54 kilograms or 119 pounds. And stand 1.3 meters or 4 feet 3 inches tall. The males can be aggressive and fight people with the same techniques as they use with each other. They use their short upper limbs to grapple with their opponent, use their muscular tails to take their body weight, and then lash out with both their powerful clawed hind legs. So they're so, actually pretty big. Yeah, they are, man. Like, they're like the size of a short person. Like the size of my mom, pretty much. They're, they're beastly <laughs> pretty looking. Sp- pretty yeah, short. but like they are, if you see how muscular they are, yeah. they're fucked, man. Like they'd kill anybody. Yeah. I don't know how their their attacks are fairly are rarely fatal. They should be fatal all the time. Yeah, I don't know. Like, Maybe I guess it just depends on where they hit you. Like if they're just gonna. I guess so. But anyway, what what do you think about that? That was fucked up. Animals and crimes and you know lawyers and. That was the weirdest court. thing I've ever heard in my entire. I life. thought it was fucked up. So. Yeah. I really went the weird route on this. Well, one. next week's is not gonna be that weird. We're back to <laughs> we're back to. Normal murder next week. Yeah, all kinds Plain of old Jane murder murders. Next week. An- An- Ange goes hard on the murders. So, well, last week I didn't. I went with the weird guy that just couldn't drive his car. That's true. And then, are you doing another urban legend one? After I don't that? know. We'll see. Okay. I kind of want to do something about Halloween, maybe. Okay. Unless you're gonna do a Halloween one. So maybe we'll just skip the urban legend one for October. We'll do a new one. We'll November. see. We'll see. We'll see. Anyway, so that was that. Um, if you guys want to get a hold of us, our email address is WTF true crime pod at gmail.com our facebook page is wtf true crime podcast our instagram is wtf true crime pod 
Um, and what else was I going to say? Um, oh, yeah. Like like us, rate us, subscribe, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that. Leave reviews. Yeah. yeah. And buy merch because we need a new microphone. We need, well, this one might not be too bad. I don't yeah, know. We'll have we'll to see. see. But we may need a new microphone. So if you want to buy anything with our logo on it, we would love for you to do so. And you can order anything you want. And, yeah. Yeah, I'll man. Out to you. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, thanks for listening. This one's a little bit on the longer side because those just had a lot of fucked up animals. Yeah, sorry if it was so. too weird, guys. But yeah, we'll get back to old fashioned murders, I guess. Soon. Yeah, I have a Canadian grown one next week. So it took place actually about three hours from here. So. Oh, interesting. It is interesting. So All right. We'll get to that one. But anyway, have a oh have, have a great night and happy Thanksgiving. And yeah. I said oh because I thought, thought that we forgot to say happy Thanksgiving. No, you said, did at the beginning. Said that at the beginning. So yeah. yeah. Just again, happy Thanksgiving. All right. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.